Well, good morning. Hope that y'all are doing well in the event that you didn't hear Ephraim. Great job, by the way, dude. We're going to find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 5. We're looking at two verses this morning. We're looking at verses 15 through 17. And so while you open or load your Bible, I've got a couple of quick things for you. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. Uh, two things. The first one is if you are new, we would love to hang out with you. We'd love to take you out for coffee or lunch. Uh, so let me encourage you to, to fill out a connect card. They're in the chairs. Fill one out, drop it in the back desk, and one of us will get back with you very, very soon. Um, in addition to that, if you're still kind of working through things and checking us out, let me personally invite you to our new visitor's lunch, which is happening on February 13th. That's like two or three weeks away. You'll hear more information about that as it gets near. The second thing is, if you don't have a Bible, we have those available to you. Take one. That's our gift to you. We love God's Word. We love preaching from God's Word. Therefore, we love to gift God's Word. Other than that, I think that's all I have. This is the few, the proud, those in the 50-degree weather. So either you're here because, uh, you know, 50 degrees isn't that bad, um, or you're hopefully looking for some encouragement because apparently the Cowboys lost last week, right? Um, but no one cares. Um, at least I don't. So uh, with that being said, let's, let's dig into what does matter. Um, there are a few things in, in our life that if, if we lose or if we misuse, we can always try to get them back. It's going to sound profoundly philosophical. I promise you it's not, right? There's a few things that, that if we lose or misuse, we can always get back. Uh, I want you to consider a few. If you lose money, you can always work your way to getting it back, earning it back. If your health isn't as squared away as it ought to be, you could begin treatment, therapy, consider your nutrition, or maybe an exercise routine. If you don't do so well in business, if you don't do so well in school, you could always restart by changing the game plan or retaking the test. There are only a few things that we can get back and work our way toward. But there are a few things, there are a few things that we can't get back in our lifetime. They tend to be the most precious. One of them is time. Time is the unrenewable resource. In the immortal words of Rocky Balboa, time is undefeated. Even Moses in Psalm 90 says this, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. How do you view time? I want you to think about that for a little bit. How do you view time? Are you a hedonist in the sense of, man, time is about fun. It's about uh, seizing the day. It's all about carpe diem. We want to seize the day. We want to seize the opportunity. We want to have as much fun as possible. As one CEO said it, he who dies with the most toys wins. Perhaps you're all about productivity. That life and time are all about accomplishment, your work, how productive you are, your success, <clears throat> how far you climb up a ladder, how much influence you have, how much influence you pass on, productivity. Perhaps you view time in terms of passivity, 
that when it comes to time, when it comes to your life or life in general, it is primarily about going with the flow. Whatever comes will go. However time weaves in, it's going to weave out. So there's no use in worrying. There's no use in really placing a great emphasis on time. Is your, do you view time passively? What do you want your life to reflect when you consider the use of the time that you have been given? Three weeks ago, we began a series on stewardship. In the first two weeks, we examined wisdom and stewardship. We saw that if we wanted to be good stewards, we needed to cultivate wisdom. We defined wisdom as spiritual depth perception. That is the ability to understand what the consequences of my actions and and decisions are going to be. Spiritual depth perception. And then we examined, this was last week, we examined stewardship, defining it as being entrusted to manage and administrate resources given to us from God. That is, all that we have been given, we are to care for it. We are to invest in it. We are to multiply and expand the resources, the gifts that we have been given. My goal in those two weeks was to create a foundation of wisdom and stewardship so that we could apply both to several areas of our life, such as time, money, skills, health, work, etc. This morning, as you can guess, we're going to be looking at stewarding our time. We are called to be stewards of the gifts that we have been given by God, and time is one of them. Now, let me just say it right off the bat. This sermon is not on how to manage your time better. This sermon is not about seizing the day. This sermon is not about productivity. Rather, it is for the purpose of assessing what kind of stewards we are when it comes to time. So I'm not going to give you how-tos. I'm not going to tell you this is how you should structure your day. This is how you should structure your time. You are an adult. Be an adult. Nevertheless, as stewards, we are called to redeem time. And as stewards, here's the main idea of our time. As stewards, we redeem time not only to live wisely, but to display the goodness of God in all that we do. Say that one more time. As stewards, we redeem time not only to live wisely, but to display the goodness of God in all that we do. So let me pray, and then we're going to look at Ephesians 5. Lord, if I am honest, it feels like it has been one of those weeks And it has felt like one of those weeks for many as well, where things have gone wrong or not the way we would have intended them to go. Yet the truth is that you are still good and that you are sovereign. By your word, may we recognize that this morning and be comforted by it. Through your word, would you remind us that Jesus has taken our ultimate burden 
And would you encourage us by your grace to consider, that is to put concentrated thought toward Jesus this morning. Lord, we need wisdom. We need wisdom today. Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us wisdom so that we would know Jesus better? Would you give us wisdom so that we would live in a way that exalts Jesus? Would you give us wisdom so that we would be comforted in Jesus? And so, Lord, for myself, I ask that I would just be moved aside and that spirit, it would be you, not only present, but at work in the hearts of my brothers and sisters this morning. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, once more, we're going to find ourselves in Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17. And so as we examine this section of chapter 5, or this section of Ephesians 5, I think it is fair to give you a brief overview of what this chapter is about so that we're not just picking and choosing some verses that sound good pertaining to time, right? And so here's a a brief couple-minute overview of this of this section. So the letter to the Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul, and it's a beautiful letter of encouragement uh, to the Ephesians who were experiencing, among other things, were experiencing a great deal of social persecution. And so when you unpack, or when you begin, I should say, the first half of Ephesians, the letter shows Paul walking them through the work of God for them in their salvation. In fact, Ephesians 1, 3 through 13 is one of the most beautiful pieces of Scripture. I would suggest you read through that. Nevertheless, it is Paul walking them through the work of God for them in salvation. It is him walking them through what God has called them out of and who God has called them to be. In classic Pauline structure, in chapter 3, there tends to be this transition. And what I mean by that is, When you read through the New Testament, and in particular the letters of Paul to a variety of individuals and churches, the first half of Paul's letters tend to be pretty heavy theologically. And the reason for that is because he wants to establish a foundation of who God is and what God has done for those churches or individuals in Jesus. So he establishes a foundation in the first half of all of his letters. And then usually what ends up happening, you might see this word therefore or the word then. And it suggests a transition. In other words, what Paul is doing here, he is saying, hey, I've told you who God is, what Jesus has done for you. Now, as a result of that, this is how you live your faith out. Right? It is as if the beginning of Paul's letters, he tries to unpack your identity or our identity in Christ. And as a result of our identity in Christ, this is what our activity should look like. That's ultimately what Paul is doing. And so in Ephesians, when you get to about chapter 3, Paul begins to walk through application in God's work uh, concerning the church and church leadership, and then he addresses their personal lives, and that's where we find ourselves today. Right here, Paul is walking them through what it looks like to live out their Christian faith as individuals, among one another, and in the context of relationships. And so as we consider uh, being, or the stewardship of our time, 
we must understand that being good stewards of our time means to live wisely. That's something that Paul writes in verse 15. To be good stewards of our time means that we live wisely, not simply with the intention of living a good life, but for the purpose of displaying the goodness of God. In order to live wisely, we must apply wisdom to our time and to our life. Wisdom, as seen in Ephesians 5.15, wisdom is the prerequisite for living wisely. So let us consider verse 15. The word then appears in verse 15. Where, Where am I? He says, look carefully then. So if you go back to verse one, if you got your Bibles open, look at what he says in verse one. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk. You want to circle that word? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrance uh, offering and sacrifice to God. You're going to see that the word then is the transition from what he has just been saying. He has told them to walk as imitators of God because this is who God has called them to be and because of what Jesus has done for them. And then we go to verse 15, he says, then, in other words, because of what Jesus has done for you, this is how you're going to walk, right? So then is a transition in this chapter. And so in verse 15, I want to focus on three phrases. I want to focus on look carefully. I want to focus on how you walk. And then finally, uh, the last portion of it, not as unwise, but as wise. We're pretty much looking at the whole verse. Let's consider the first one. Look carefully. The word carefully here could be better translated to the word accurately. And so he's saying look carefully accurately. Here's what he's getting at. What Paul is getting at is taking an honest assessment of yourself. I'm going to let that sit for a little bit. Look accurately is taking an honest assessment of yourself. In the context of being stewards of our time, This isn't simply you thinking or suggesting that you are too rigid in your schedule or you need better time management. That might be the case, but that's not necessarily what we're talking about. When Paul says, look accurately, when he says, take an assessment of yourself, he is saying, look accurately at the condition of your heart. See, when it comes to time, the question is, what is it that governs you? Is it your schedule that governs you? Is it being needed? Is it your own self-indulgence to be lazy? Do you feel as though time is your own? We looked at the difference between being stewards and owners last week. And so when it comes to time, do you believe that you are the owner of time rather than a steward of time. Take an honest assessment of the condition of your heart when it comes to time. Secondly, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. This word walk refers to our lifestyle, the way in which we live. 
So as you consider this honest assessment of your heart, consider now the way in which you walk. Consider the way in which you live. If it refers to our lifestyle, then where is it that you're putting your time? Do you separate your time from your faith? You see, where you place your time reflects what you value. And here's the truth. Others will see that. Where you place your time reflects what you value. And others will always see that. And so for the individual, this may be you, I don't know. For the individual who separates time, in other words, this is my time to do this thing, and then this is my time to finally be a Christian, you know, on Sundays and community group, and when my Christian friend texts me, I got to respond with Christianese, but when my non-Christian friend texts me, I respond completely differently, right? All of these separations of time, how you spend your time, and where your faith is played in. See, when we do that, we end up doing two things. Number one, we end up compartmentalizing our faith. We compartmentalize our faith in the sense of uh, on Sundays, I'm a Christian because we're doing Christian things. After all, there's a stage and chairs and Bibles are open, and so that's a Christian thing. But outside of Sunday, I go back to doing something perhaps that is not very Christian. You live a life that is void of Christ. But then you're a Christian again on Tuesday night when you're at community group or maybe you're praying over the meal. You compartmentalize your life. And here's the thing. When you and I compartmentalize our life and when we compartmentalize our faith, we compromise our faith. We compromise the gospel. And the reason in which we do that is for the second portion. The second portion is we want control. We are the ones that want to control our time. We are the ones that want to control how we do certain things, what people see. You don't believe me? Check people's social medias. There's a reason there's a thing called a filter. How you spend your time, where you place your time, will reflect what you value. And when we try to compartmentalize or separate time from our faith, we compartmentalize our faith, which means we compromise the gospel and we're cool with that. And the reason for that is because we want control. You want your Christian brothers and sisters to see that you're a Christian on Sunday, but not on Monday. How is it that you walk? Finally, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So God, through Paul, urges us to live wisely by looking accurately at ourselves and the way in which we walk. Do you live wisely? In other words, does the word of God dwell in you where it affects your decision-making when it comes to how you spend your time? Do you apply the word of God? There's that, that wisdom portion. Do you apply the word to your life so that how you spend your time reflects the goodness of God? Or are you so consumed by your schedule or your self-interest 
that Jesus is void of the way in which you spend your time. See what I mean? Like, I'm not going to, it's not a how-to. Because everybody's involved in so many different things. That's why we are to take an honest assessment of the condition of our hearts. We are to carefully look at how do we walk when it comes to spending our time. Do we live wisely or foolishly with the time that we have been given? See, if we're going to be good stewards of the time we've been given, we must begin with an honest assessment of how we are using time. What we reflect in time and whether or not we're living wisely. Whether or not we're applying wisdom to the way we spend our time and live our life is the prerequisite of redeeming time. I'll say it one more time. Whether or not we're applying wisdom to the way we spend our time and live our life is the prerequisite for redeeming time. Let's look at verses 16 to 17. This is where we will spend the majority of our time. Now that we're all reflecting on how we spend our time, we can dig into this, these, this section, right? <clears throat> In these next two verses, Paul is going to unpack what we are to do with time. He's going to tell us the what, he's going to tell us the why, and he's going to tell us the how. All right, so let's begin with the what, and we're going to do this in the form of questions. So the first question is, what do we do with our time? All right. Here at Storehouse, when we preach through uh, the Bible, we like using the ESV translation. It's a wonderful translation. It's very accurate. I dig it. It's very readable and accessible. But sometimes uh, it can lack what other useful transition or excuse me, useful translations provide. In this case, when it comes to verse sixteen. When it comes to to, to verse 16, Paul in the ESV says, making the best use of the time. I think that's good, but quite honestly, I think the KJV, that's right, I said it. The KJV has a better rendering of this phrase, okay? All right, and in the KJV, uh, it reads, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I think that's a very, very good rendering of the phrase, making the best use of time. So, what does it mean? What does it mean to redeem time? Well, we need to look at two words in order to better understand. And even at the end of explaining it, we may still not understand. So, here we go. The word redeem is one that we use pretty frequently here at Storehouse. To redeem refers to buy back or to buy out of. If you've ever been to Dave and Buster's and you've played the video games, you get this point card. Every time you play a video game, you get points, right? Instead of tickets, you get points. And so then you go to the store and there's this toy, there's this gadget, there's this gimmick that you want. Well, that toy, said toy, costs X points. So you use your card, right, in order to get the toy, in order to redeem the toy, to buy it out of its slavery to the shelf, right? Um, <clears throat> right? That, that is how we redeem, right? So if you ever noticed that at Dave & Buster's, hey, use your card and redeem your points. Yes, it is to buy something out of its slavery to the shelf, right? 
in the New Testament, in the New Testament, when we're talking about or when it's talking about redemption, it is in the context of slavery, right? Being bought out of bondage meant to be redeemed. And in the context of our salvation, Jesus redeems us by buying us out of our slavery to our sin, our bondage to sin. And there's always a cost. There's a currency, just like the, the cost at Dave & Buster's is points, right, to redeem said toy. When it comes to our redemption in Jesus, the cost, the currency is his blood. When Paul uses, or when we look at the phrase, redeem the time, it has the same meaning, that our job is to buy time out of slavery. Now, you might be asking, well, how, how do we do that? Well, we're not at the how, we're at the what. We'll get there in just a minute, right? Number two, we need to consider the word time, right? When he says redeeming time, even here in the ESV, as he says, uh, making the best use of the time. There are several words in the Greek language for time. The one that we're looking at is called kairos, Kairos does not refer to time in terms of seconds or minutes or hours. Rather, it refers to time uh, in terms of seasons or opportunities. It can be a window of time. That means that it's a brief opportunity. Or it can be something like a harvest where it's a long season. And the thing about these pockets or these windows or these seasons of time is that they close and end. They slip away quickly. So what must we do with our time? We are to redeem it. We are to buy it out of its slavery. And we're going to look at that a little bit more closely in just a bit. So the what is, man, we're to live wisely. Look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, right? And he goes on to say, I already forgot. He goes on to say, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. That's the why. What are we to do? We are to redeem time. We are to make the best use of time. Why? Because the days are evil evil. What Paul is getting at, it's not this like hyper spiritual thing. What Paul is getting at is that we live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, time is short and there will be pockets or seasons of times that will present opportunities for us as Christians. And if we do not make the best use of our time, they will slip away. In essence, Paul is saying, because the days are evil, opportunities to do good get swallowed up by our busyness and nothing happens. Because the days are evil, you and I will be tempted to go with the flow of our culture and waste time. Because the days are evil, you and I will be tempted to default to our sin nature, and rather than making a difference, we will be tempted to self-indulge and do nothing with time. See, being a steward of the time that we've been given doesn't simply mean better time management. It means stepping into the tension of redemptive opportunity. That is, stepping into the tension of time means dying to yourself 
for the sake of displaying the goodness of God. When we dismiss and ignore these opportunities, these pockets or these seasons of times will come to an end and we cannot get them back. Redeeming time means that we step into the tension of a fallen world, redeem opportunities for the sake of displaying God's goodness, and that might mean that you die to yourself. You die to your comfort. You die to your laziness. You die to your over-busyness. You die to opportunities that, or schedules that actually keep you from reflecting the goodness of God. So what do we do? We redeem time. Why do we redeem time? Because the days are evil. How do we redeem time? Paul closes. This is verse 17. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Verse 17, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So how do we redeem time? We understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul lays it all out. See, if we're going to know the will of the Lord and apply wisdom to the way we spend our time and the way we live our life, then the Word of God must dwell in us richly. We must grow to be enamored by God's Word and work for us in Christ. We must be deeply devoted to God in prayer and consider what would bring Him glory and honor. In a paraphrase, one of my most intimidating quotes that I haven't really memorized, one of the most intimidating quotes I've ever, uh, I've ever read was uh, by Martin Luther, the reformer. He says, I have so much to do today that I will spend uh, my day, my, the first part of my day with three hours of prayer. Now, whether or not he did that, I don't know. But nevertheless, that was so intimidating. In other words, he spent his mornings just uh, saturated in prayer considering what is it that's going to bring God glory in light of all of the things that I have to do. When you consider the life of Jesus, I think this is Luke 6, 12, where Jesus goes out overnight and he spends a considerable amount of time in prayer thinking through the disciples in which he's going to call. Fully knowing what he is called to, he spends a great deal of time considering, man, what is going to glorify the Father most as I select these men? We must be deeply immersed in prayer, considering what is going to bring the most glory to God with our time. What is going to bring Him honor and glory? When we find ourselves seeped in the Word of God, we grow to better understand the will of God. And that's everybody's question, isn't it? What's the will of God for my life? Everybody wants to ask, you laugh because it's true, right? Like that's the question all of us always ask. What's God's will for my life? And yet he reveals great parts of it through his word. When we seep ourselves, when we saturate ourselves in the word of God, we grow to better understand the will of God. For instance, when we uh, devote ourselves to word, we remember that we're stewards of the time we've been given. We're not owners of this time. 
The Lord is the Lord over time. And this conviction didn't simply come through realization. It came through redemption. It came through us being redeemed by Christ and understanding who exactly was sovereign. And it wasn't us. When we devote ourselves to, to time in the word and prayer, we remember that time is short. Time is short, and time serves as a vehicle for mission. Not just in the context of, oh man, what is the church going to do? What's that one event that we're just planning next? No, mission where you are is where you have been sent. Meeting people where they are is your mission so that they can come and know Jesus and make Jesus known. Time is short. Time is valuable. And it's not just, hey, go out there aimlessly and punch the wind and just go do all of these things. Where you are is where you have been sent. You have been given the gift of time. Steward it well. Invest in those that are around you. When it comes to, for instance, proclaiming the goodness of God, that is part of displaying the goodness of God. But man, we want to talk about that on a Sunday most of the time. We want to talk about that. Uh, we want to amen it from a YouTube video, right? We want to amen it from the back of some conference. But part of the reason, it's not just fear, part of the reason uh, we don't use time for the sake of mission is because we believe that time is ours. We are owners of that time. Or, you know, we've said this before. This isn't like a jab, but we've said this before. Like, perhaps we don't love Jesus as much as we say we do. Perhaps, rather than celebrating when God rescues a sinner, we are too suspicious instead of celebratory. Yeah, think about it. When we find ourselves devoted to God's word, immersed in prayer, we remember that time is a gift to be enjoyed. It's a gift to be enjoyed. And so we, sa we savor the enjoyments of our lives. When we hang out with friends and we're nice and loud and we're enjoying the time with one another, savor that. That's a wonderful time. When you go on vacation and you're posting on Instagram showing everybody that you're on vacation and everybody's at work, savor that time, right? When you have a really good meal with friends or family or you just cook something, when you invest in your hobbies, when you just simply enjoy the smaller things, that is a gift. Savor it. See, oftentimes, especially when we talk about time, constantly we're like, what are you doing with your time? Are you making disciples with your time? We need to be on mission. Like sometimes part of that is yes, and sometimes you should go on vacation. Sometimes you should just take a break and sit down. You know, that is part, listen to me, that is a part of redeeming time. I don't know if I could take vacation. I don't know if I could stop working. Ah, that's something different. That's a different conversation. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But when you savor those moments, that is a part of redeeming time. 
when we are devoted to God's word and prayer, we remember that redeeming time comes with a cost. It comes with a cost. Redeeming those points, you didn't just get those points all of a sudden on that card, right? You had to play video games. There was a cost, right? There is a cost to redeeming time, and that cost is wisdom. Concentrated effort in thinking, examining, assessing how can I use my time wisely? What will bring God the most glory in this season? How can I bless others as a result of whatever? That is not always a very popular thought for Christians because oftentimes we either want to do a lot, just tell me what I need to do, or we don't want to do anything. But how do we redeem time? We consider the cost, and the cost is wisdom. That's what we've been talking about. How do we cultivate wisdom? Do you guys remember? Fear the Lord, search the scriptures, wise counsel. That's been the last two weeks. That's what you're doing here in redeeming time. How do we live wisely? We apply wisdom. How do we cultivate wisdom? Fear the Lord, search the scriptures, wise counsel. Are you a good steward of your time? And then, kind of close it on verse 17, but we need to talk about another reality. And the reality is that there's always a fight with time. And there's three opponents that you and I tend to battle. We tend to duke it out when it comes to time. The first opponent of redeeming our time is laziness. All right, let's just be honest. We're going to be honest because that's what we do. We're going to put it all on the table, right? The first opponent to, our, to redeeming time is laziness. Now, here's the thing about laziness, right? You with me? It's not about time management, and it's not about do more better. Laziness is a theological issue. Laziness is a heart issue. Consider Proverbs 26. This is verses 14 and then 15. I think it's the same chapter. Nevertheless, the writer says, the sluggard, this is one of the individuals in Proverbs that, that, is, that is lazy, that doesn't work. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Think of a bowl of oatmeal or cereal, and he puts his hand in that bowl, and he is too lazy to feed himself. <laughs> That's the sluggard. Or Consider verse 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Want to stay in bed all day? Want to not do anything? Am I against naps? No, if you take them, cool. No one cares, right? If like, that's not what I'm getting at. You see, when it comes to the sluggard, when it comes to the lazy person, the reason it's a heart issue is because the lazy care little for God. They care little for the things that honor and glorify God. They care little for others. See, laziness comes when we don't have anything or when we don't believe that anything we do really matters. 
It comes when we get frustrated by setbacks and then we give up. It comes when we do not believe God is worth saving. Author Tim Chalice says this, As you study the sluggard throughout Proverbs, you will see that he is a man who refused to begin new ventures, a man who will not finish what he has begun, a man who will not face reality, and through it all, a man who is restless, helpless, and useless. His life is chaotic because his soul is chaotic. Why is this soul so chaotic? Because he cares little for God. He cares little about the people of God. He cares little about others. Laziness is not just, oh, I need to do more. I need to get better at productivity. Fine, maybe that's true. But at the heart of laziness, it's a theological issue. It's a heart issue. It's a faith issue. That God is not worth serving. That's opponent number one. Opponent number two is busyness. This too is a heart issue. It's a concern of faith. See, the busy never have enough time. And they get upset. They're upset with God about that reality that there isn't enough time or they simply want to be God themselves. Because if they were God, man, things would just be better. They would have a lot more time to do whatever it is they need to do. The busy are people who are consumed by busyness and their schedule for a variety of reasons. See, those who are consumed by busyness tend to fall into, not the only ones, but tend to fall in at least two categories. They tend to be the holier-than-thou ones. They want to be perceived as better. They want to be perceived as productive and important and successful. Remember, time reflects what you value. Nobody said you don't have things to do on your plate, but busyness does not mean productive. Busyness does not mean fruitful. Busyness does not mean effective or flourishing. So that's not what we're talking about. But there are those who want to be perceived as holier than thou, productive, important. They want to be perceived as that. Or those who are really busy love to people please and can't say no. They can't say no. Rather than delegate certain responsibilities, they take on more responsibilities because they can't say no. Rather than saying no, they drown in their own schedule. Time reflects what you value. The busy person is unable to consider whether they're able to be a good steward because they're consumed by their schedule. They're consumed by their busyness. That's opponent number two. And each of us battle those all the time. The third one is thorns and thistles. See, the first two opponents, when it comes to busyness or laziness, they can be subtle. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's say you're really busy, but you don't answer any of your emails, right? You would never guess that that would be lazy, right? It could be subtle, right? And they have both laziness and busyness. They have their roots in our sin. They are our heart issues, right? The third opponent, thorns and thistles, is a little different. That is, what attacks the stewardship of our time isn't laziness, and it's not busyness, It's the fallenness 
of our world. Thorns and thistles that God has allowed to grow up as part of the curse we brought onto this world through our sin. See, the harsh reality is this, that no amount of wisdom in scheduling, prioritization, or excellence in time management will successfully counter that God-ordained futility. Read Ecclesiastes. At the end of the day, sometimes stuff happens. Right? I mean, can we all agree on that? Yeah, whatever. Just wait till something happens. It, it is true, right? Sometimes stuff happens. And so what do we do? What do we do when stuff happens? Let those thorns and thistles remind you that God is God and you are not. Let those thorns and thistles remind you that God is about something much larger and much grander than fun or productivity or accomplishment. Let those thorns and thistles remind you that God is about showing off how amazing he is by rescuing this fallen world and releasing it into freedom. Time is short, and God is sovereign. Therefore, we redeem the time we've been given so that we magnify His goodness to anyone and everyone. Redeeming time, and here's where we'll close, redeeming time is more than productivity or management or scheduling. Redeeming the time is about keeping Jesus at the focal point of all that we do. Not only because life is short, but because as stewards, we know the cost of redemption in our lives personally. And as a result, we are able to stay on course with what he has called us to do. Let us be the first to remember Jesus' redemptive work for us that he entered into human history, lived the life that we could not live, died a death in our place for our sin, redeeming us, purchasing us out of our bondage to our sins so that we would walk in the newness of life. Our faith is not about productivity. Our faith is about exalting Jesus and the goodness of God in our life, particularly with the time that we have been given. So Christian, how are you using your time? You can tie yourself up asking the question, am I making the best use of my time? And think about that all day long and completely miss the point. Considering Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, the point about that text is your faith, not your productivity. And so, are you living your life to show off the goodness of God? If you are, hey, great. That's wonderful. 
Sit in that. Praise God for that. That's literally the point. Good job if you are. Like seriously, good job. If you're not, what do you need to submit before the Lord? Where do you need to repent so that you would make the best use of time in reflecting the goodness of God? If you're not a Christian, you're here, man, I love that you're here. love that you showed up. You decided to hang out with us. It's an honor. And when it comes to time, right, outside of Jesus, we're all enslaved. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus buys sinners out of their slavery to their sin. And he offers that for you to receive a new heart, a renewed mind with new desires, and new eyes so that you would look at time differently because of what he has done for you first. So I invite you to repent, to come and know Jesus. Church, we redeem time not simply to live wisely, but to display the goodness of God in all that we do. Let's pray. God, over the course of this series, we have been asking, praying, uh, pleading for wisdom. And as we close our time this morning, we will continue to ask for wisdom. A wisdom that, that brings us to Jesus. A wisdom that reflects your goodness in our lives as stewards. A wisdom that reminds us of your grace so that we would sit in that grace. That that is a gift from you to us. A wisdom that provides us with the ability to use discernment and sound judgment. To live wisely. Lord, please forgive us of our, of our folly in pursuing ownership. Thinking that time is ours. Or when we don't have enough time thinking that we are you, if not, we are better than you. Please forgive us of our folly. Please forgive us in being captivated by idols and trying to live apart from you. Forgive us when we willingly pursue our foolishness. Forgive us when we forget your work done for us in Jesus our redemption and restoration through Jesus. This morning, would you empower us to live according to your word through your spirit for your glory. Guard our hearts that we may walk in wisdom and in step with the gospel, making the best use of our time for your glory and our good. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you this morning. Amen.